0: We're all humans trying to do stuff with limited time it changes the conversation like you're saying with michael jordan or, or michael schumacher or we really focus on what makes the goat the goat instead of what is the cost of being the goat at what expense
1: this is the humans of gaming podcast an open and honest conversation about games life and belief
2: Hey, welcome to Humans of Gaming. I'm Chad Dixon. I am the chief content nerd at Love Thy Nerd, which means I do website articles and stuff, mm. and stuff, and other stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm joined by Chris Queltney. Hey, Chris.
1: Hey, I'm Chris. I'm the chief executive nerd for, with Love Thy Nerd, and this is the Humans of Gaming podcast where we invite game designers, content creators, industry folks, whether board games or video games, and we just like to have chats with them and good conversation and get to hear what makes them tick and for this episode we had dan casmeyer
2: yeah dan's super interesting guy because um well i think first people want to know that he is a board game designer he and his wife made a game called chai Mm -hmm. and uh they're doing a whole bunch of like uh expansions and things to it um he's uh super interesting guy because um He's like deep into things. He mm. gets deep into everything he does. Like, he decided he was gonna, he really liked chess. So, he became like a professional chess player and got mm. like super deep into it. Um, when he made chai, he like researched tea deeply <laughs> and carefully. And, uh, yeah, I just, he's one of those kind of guys that, um, I, I can simp- sympathize me. That's the wrong word. I can identify. I, I get, people like that because I'll get really curious about something and find myself reading Wikipedia for a couple Mm. hours. Um, So I get it. But um,
1: I don't think I could ever be his friend because (laughs) I hate having those kinds of friends that are like, they're just good at everything they do, you know, like everything. They just have the Midas touch. And I think that's Dan. Mm -hmm. So sorry, Dan, we can't be friends.
2: (laughs) Yeah. 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 But uh, I do. He also's like, I think, done a lot of interesting humanitarian work. We get into that, something that too. I mean, work in the area of immigration and just mm-hmm. like helping people settle here um, who are coming from war torn countries and things like that. So, yeah, just kind of um, really like genuine. It just seems to me like a really genuinely kind uh, soul yeah which is
1: cool. he was one of those guys like just very quick even in email <laughs> like when we were emailing back and forth with him to set this up like I just knew from that moment he was one of those people that just has a giant heart and like mm-hmm. was just super kind and sincere and real and yeah. I think that comes through in our conversation so without
2: further ado here's our conversation with Dan Kazmaier So, where are you from dan hey
0: i'm from calgary canada so north of montana right beside the rockies
2: okay
1: thank you because my canadian geography is crap (laughs) so that was helpful
2: (laughs) so is it uh is it start is it still winter there basically still pretty cold yeah
0: it was actually snowing yesterday but we have a unique phenomenon called chinooks where you have high pressure and low pressure points and when the heat goes over the mountain, it just kind of melts everything. So you might have black ice the next day and not even know it when you drive. Oh,
2: that's fun! Yikes! It was eighty here today. Oh, oh my, my gosh! gosh. <laughs> Chris lives in Southern California, yeah. so <laughs> the
1: Santa Ana winds.
2: Yeah, it's. Uh, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's it's warming up here, but uh, we've had some nasty weather too. Like we had some serious flooding this last week. Uh, it's kind of scary, so yeah. Uh, but we didn't come here to talk about the weather. Dan, you're a game designer. Tell me about what you what you do in the world of game design.
0: Yeah, well, my wife, Connie, and I, we run Steep Games here in Calgary. There's a few other local publishers like Roxley, uh, Dice Point Heroes, a few others. So we've had a cool little creative community, which has mm-hmm. pushed us towards publishing. Um, that's always the choice. Do you self-publish? Do you make your own company? Kickstarter or whatnot or do you find another publisher to make your games and yeah we just decided to run for it. That's cool and when did y'all get into that? Uh, I think it was roughly two years ago in a few months so like the weekend after PAX Unplugged 2018.
2: Wow so what how did you get to this point where you decided like I'm gonna I'm gonna do this I'm gonna go for it and make games I'm assuming you haven't been doing this like for forever. This is like a relatively, it sounds like it's a relatively new thing for you. So what, what were you doing before?
0: Yeah, so I guess prior to that, I was um, helping out, start a humanitarian organization. So I did that five to six years, coming out of seminary. And uh, just reflecting on it this afternoon, um, I was in a refugee camp in Greece. And one way for us to communicate with refugees who were in the middle of the humanitarian crisis, which still goes on to today, uh, we were struggling to communicate with some kids. Uh, we had translators and whatnot, so we busted out a copy of Uno, actually, and right away their eyes lit up. So as we're, we're dealing it out and talking a bit more about like, some of their emotional needs and their family backgrounds, that sort of thing, um, I really came to the realization that games are like a tremendous tool for helping people get through trauma or just connecting people together across cultures, let alone languages. Um, my own personal background, I used to play chess semi-professionally for a good 15 years.
2: And that's why you made the comment earlier about Chris and the chess board. It's all coming together now. Okay. Got it. Semi-professionally. That's, uh, I've never met a semi-professional chess player. Well, interesting.
0: I like to say I'm good enough to know know that I suck. So, So
1: you have to tell us then, did you watch the Queen's Gambit on Netflix? I'm sure people ask you that all the time. Oh yeah. Day one.
0: I think this Christmas I had, oh, it was brilliant. Yeah. It really dives into kind of the backstory because if you think about it, even sports um, like a famous NBA game or for us in Canada, hockey, um, it comes down to these really interesting moments between coaches or players behind the scenes, like at a, a restaurant beside the hotel at the chess tournament the day before, or like a comment that really sparks things. So nothing's really in a vacuum. You can play the chess game, um, you know, online, play a one-minute game or a 10-minute game, but it has all these intricacies in life. So it was really fun traveling to, like, Iceland and other places representing, um, like, my province or country. But, yeah, I just wasn't good enough to make it a lifestyle. I have friends who became, like, Canadian champion or whatnot, and they stream on Twitch, but there's not a lot of money or ways that you can make chess kind of a living.
1: Sorry to bury the lead because I thought... (laughs) what you were talking about with working with those refugees and games like that is just so freaking cool because that I think just nails how universal of a language games and play is. Yes. And like, dude, what a beautiful sentiment that you were sharing there about like seeing how valuable a tool that can be for, for building relationships, ultimately just like loving people, you know?
0: Yeah, that's kind of my dream for down the road. I'd love to create some tools that are not only fun, but they can help from a different angle. Like the game Dixit, you can talk about what stories you see within the cards, and from that draw on different perspectives. Or if you're familiar with um, Rory Cubes, um, I actually met Rory at a game convention, and we're going to try to do something together. But he has a background in peacemaking and counseling. So he's of the same mindset that You know, all of us as humans, what it means to be human is to play. So let's Mm -hmm. explore that and bring things out.
2: Yeah, that uh, he was one of the guys that made um, uh, Holding On, right?
1: Yeah. uh, Yes, yes, yes. yes, Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Yeah.
2: So you're going to be working on a project with him. And what is that? Well, we just brainstormed
0: at a convention, but we've been in touch. And yeah, I've been meaning to follow up to am so thanks for the
2: reminder (laughs) yeah
1: you heard it here (laughs) first folks
2: that's cool oh Uh, yeah yeah hot scoop uh that's really cool so um what what was that what's the process been like for you like what's really from you know going working in the humanitarian world to now like being a board game designer that's got to be a pretty unique transition that not many people have experienced
0: yeah um well if i'm completely honest it was probably a little guilt ridden, if I could say like, (laughs) you know, you have the quintessential person saving the refugees or whatever. And like, I'd go to churches and do a presentation and, um, people would rally behind a luncheon and be like, yes, we're going to bring over a refugee. And then nine months Mm -hmm. later they have the funds in and it works. And then the next day I'm making board games. And (laughs) I never thought that the two would overlap, but there's just so much, um, I guess, wonder in making games that, um, connects people that like, for me personally, trying to legitimize that, I think I just had to accept more of who I was going forward as well. And, um, yeah, like, don't get me wrong. I'm still loving refugees and, um, encouraging people to support them. But, um, I find that myself as on my unique journey, at least that in this moment, making games, um, yeah, it's been fulfilling and it, it creates community for people. So there, there's good in that too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, are you like, I mean, you full time in with Steeped Games or are you still kind of like having to do by vocational stuff or?
0: Yeah, uh, right now I've just decided to do it full time. So I have been for probably six to nine months uh, oh, before wow. I was doing a little bit of consulting for Kickstarters. Uh, we had just run one or two, but... Um, yeah, i like making people come alive through how their product can come alive and identifying things so yeah what we're going to see how this goes connie my wife is a full-time grade four teacher so we have a little bit more security there but
1: god bless her
0: <laughs> i'm kind of the ideas guy so <laughs> we'll joke that um i'm more of the balloon and she's the string <laughs> so as soon as she comes through the door i'll be like hey babe oh, i, I got this great idea Do you got 30 seconds can i give you another pitch and she'd be like, okay, well, have you done the other, you know, 10 projects that we've been kind of working <laughs> on? And yeah, so the, the balloon kind of fizzes out a little bit. and But after I get to you share need that, though, you know, that's good. Totally. Good yeah. Got to be
2: grounded. Cool. So tell us about, uh, tell us about your games. Chai is the one that I've, I've seen, I believe. Do you have, uh, have you guys published other games? Like, I, I think there's some, been some follow-ups to, to, or some expansions to Chai. Is that right?
0: yeah so i guess uh chai is an immersive family tea game um it's 10 minutes per player everyone's playing as a different tea merchant whether it's green black oolong
2: white uh or rooibos are you are you a tea person does this uh, come from a you know what uh, appreciation of tea
0: probably not as much as i am now to be honest so Hmm. i'm actually sipping on an earl grey decaf uh winter white at the moment so Definitely immersive way to be stuff.
1: on message. Yes, <laughs> that's right.
0: <laughs> yeah, like different tea companies have sent us stuff, and um, Harney and Sons in the States they made us tea influencers. And then last week, the World Tea Expo, tea influencers, yeah, tea influencers. It sounds really nerdy, but hey, I'm <laughs> tea, so, hey, not dude, at all. You're, you're, say, you're in
1: the right place, my man. That's fine.
0: <laughs> yeah, even like last week, um the tea world said we were the most innovative um, tea company in the world out of a hundred uh, new startups. Oh. So that was a huge honor that took us by surprise Yeah, that we have value in the tea world. So we got a booth at the world tea expo in Colorado um, vaccines pending, but yeah, it's been really cool like navigating basically an adjacent market. So yeah. there's a huge overlap between gamers and tea lovers uh, working on a coffee game, so maybe kombucha or bubble tea, a couple more projects we have in the works.
1: <laughs> Honestly, the the beverage game uh, market is limitless. I feel like every week there's a <laughs> new like trend beverage that comes out. Oh, totally. uh, what
2: is the, the Argentinian, you know, what is the, that? Mate, you could do a mate Oh yeah, uh, game. Yerba Mate, yep. Yerba Mate, yeah, there you go. Um sodas, different sodas. Possibilities are endless. Yeah. I've so, seen some beer games. I feel like you there's already a lot of those. So I don't know that that's like a great market for yeah, you, but, a lot of beer games.
0: Well, uh, last week the name uh, Victory Pints would make a great name for a game. So now I have That to- is a <laughs> solid name.
1: <laughs> oh, that is good. So you and Connie worked on this game together?
0: Yeah, just in our spare time, we kind of pulled together our date night money, if you will. Or, you know, you normally go out for the movies or something or mm-hmm. sushi. But we're like, hey, let's try to market this thing and grow a little Facebook community. Um, bought a 3D printer. Instead of sending it out to a print shop, we made all the little components ourself. Um, If my dad's listening, thanks to him for buying a <laughs> circular anvil. And he went into our basement furnace and just hammered away like Gimli on all these cardboard tokens because we needed about a hundred <laughs> a game. So he, he yeah. did about 7,000 over two weeks. Oh,
1: my gosh. What a dad thing to do. Like, I know. Like, yeah. That is just freaking awesome.
0: Yeah. Thanks no, to yeah, that's dad. Yeah. Dad of
2: the year right there. That's mm-hmm. impressive.
0: Totally. Friends came over for pizza parties, stickering things. Like it's just, Yeah, it was a hoot. I mean... Board games are so community-minded and ours was kind of built up from the ground for that like with the free print and play that sort of thing
1: and now were you the two of you like you and your wife connie like were you already kind of in the board game world like hobby board games and that kind of stuff
0: yeah so uh when i met connie i would still go to a lot of tournaments overseas Mm -hmm. Uh, we got married and then went to a few more and i realized Hey, maybe doing a...
2: So you met her from like doing chess from from uh, your, your, from your being she, a competitive chess player?
0: Right. It was just more locally at our, our church we connected. I was okay. um, doing some humanitarian work in China uh, with seniors. And then I did a presentation and she had just come back from her own vacation in China. And it was like, hey, this is a cool story. Let me take mm-hmm. this guy out to Starbucks. So... Actually, yeah. On our first date, she I knew what she
2: was doing. She asked you out, huh?
0: Very intentional. Absolutely. <laughs> and at least my story is that she asked to do a book study, but mm-hmm. apparently um, I didn't interpret it that, or she didn't interpret it that way. So I don't know. Here we are.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's
1: cool, man. So you guys, you were kind of into games. Like, what kind of games were you playing before embarking on this whole chai thing? Like, what kind of board games?
0: Right, so it was purely chess and then realized going to tournaments wasn't really in our agenda because it can take five to seven days. So packed away the chess stuff, um, stopped coaching. and then on the way back from Iraq, we stopped in Toronto at my uncle's place. and he was like, "Hey, do you want to play Puerto Rico? This used to be the number one game back in 2001. Hmm. So we cracked it open and it kind of um, brought that liveliness out of me again for like strategic games. Mm-hmm. so i flicked on Kijiji. we bought 30 games used the next day Flew mm-hmm. <laughs> back to calgary Jeez. finally got all the games
1: yeah you went I, all in didn't you
0: totally that's kind of our mentality where if we do something we, we just dive full in to do it yeah yeah definitely a strength and a weakness but i think we probably got a good two three hundred games in the next couple of years played probably three four times a week with Gosh. friends. <laughs> that's um, cool Yeah. And I guess in my own background, I had made games for fun as a kid, whether it was like a book project on The Hobbit or, um, you know, different social studies classes, that sort of thing. And looking back, it kind of grounded me in, hey, this is something I enjoy. Uh, Both of us have a background as wedding photographers, and I did marketing and graphic design uh, for a school. So things kind of came together and we decided we could just do it ourselves in a way. So we did the first revisions in arts and the graphic design and then um, found a few really talented artists from uh, India just to give proper representation. Chai means tea in a lot of languages. Mm-hmm. So when you go to Starbucks and order a chai tea, it's kind of redundant. Yeah, you're getting a TT?
2: Totally. Like saying pin number? So what is what is your chai tea then? Yeah, we have high this It's like a special type of tea when you get that at Starbucks.
0: Right. So... Chai, um, at least how we typically think of it in the West, is masala chai. So it's a spiced beverage. Okay. Or you might get pumpkin spice in the fall, and that is traditionally a chai oh, Barf tea.
1: <laughs> no judgment.
2: <laughs> I'll um, be a tea gatekeeper, yeah, I'm just,
1: Drew. <laughs> I'm
2: just not. I just think like here's my view about pumpkin flavored things. Like I'll I'll eat them or drink them, but it's it's not never going to be my first choice it's kind of like a yeah,
1: unnecessary like, flavor
2: like that's how I feel too. about pumpkin stuff it's weird um, pumpkin spice pumpkin
0: pie or
2: do you, <laughs> do do p is, is like pumpkin spice stuff is that popular in Canada or do you have I y'all guess. like I mean
0: everything is up to whether McDonald's or for us Tim Hortons is promoting it so <laughs> we'll buy what's on yeah. sale I
3: don't know
2: well, I feel like if it is, if it is a thing in Canada, it's probably our fault no. and I'm sorry. So that's okay. uh, I'm sorry. That was that horrible flavor. That horrible American flavor was imported,
1: I, made it across I the I feel borders. like you have way stronger feelings about pumpkin spice than I ever knew, Drew. And I thought I really knew. <laughs> yeah. It well. yeah. I feel like we needed to get this out there. Yeah. Well, it's um, out there now. Uh, Dan, like what are, what are your guys go to like board games just right now that you find you're playing a lot?
0: Uh, let's see. So if we're just going to break out a game that doesn't have a heavy rule set, I'd probably say Concordia. It's okay. really elegant. Um, the guys that shut up and sit down did a really good review for it where you're just playing one card each turn, but which card in your hand is just mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the game that settlers should have been in my mind. Okay. But- I love sellers too, started on that university. Um, there's Azul, which was really popular a couple years ago. We it should a um, It's
2: a Solid one.
0: Yeah, Wingspan. Um, we try to get a few more German games. My last name is close to Cheesemaker, Katsumaya. <laughs> so we can import stuff from you know the Amazon Germany or we'll have friends come back and bring something. So there's one game on Plums set collection Things like P Pimal Flumen, like one more um, pie. It's kind of a word play. That's a cool game. Yeah, Point Salad. That's good as well. But we try to play a good two to three new games a week. Just as a publisher, you're always trying to, I guess, have input into what creative things other people are doing. Um, mm. The other day, I was at the mall and we went into like some kind of beauty product store, and it just blew my mind because you had all these really fascinating cosmetics. And I was like, hey, you know, the board game we're making, we could have this kind of cardboard sphere or look at the cool thing they did over here. Um, Yeah, product design is really fascinating to both of us.
1: What um, are are there games, you know, being that you kind of come from this world of chess, and I'm sure you've got however many gajillion chess games under your belt. Like, are there any modern board games that kind of scratch a similar itch? to chess or you know because there are some of those kind of more abstract yeah i think of like um, oh uh onitama or there's another Mm -hmm. one uh it's it's super simple and it's just like rocks there's like black rocks and white rocks man i can't think of the name of it but anyway are there are there like modern board games that kind of scratch that itch for you uh yeah i guess chess
0: is a pure abstract game pure knowledge so there's no unknowns in it Mm -hmm. and I really like the modern board game world on the side with it because most games have a little element of luck, whether it's flipping over a card or not knowing what um, your opponent has in their hand or what's in the deck. Maybe a die is involved. So I don't see too many parallels to chess completely, but yeah, Onitama as like a chess light, it's brilliant. Mm. Um, having the cards transfer hands and, and movement changes. Um, so we spice that up with our chess friends we we break out a chess clock when we play onitama oh yeah so you play the whole game in three minutes for each side and that just reduces the cognitive overload of the mind or else you could just focus on the position for you know 20 minutes before making a move which is kind of what the chess world does so uh doing different time constraints really helps but um even a game like hive that's a great abstract Mm you got like the ladybug expansion and a few others, like mm-hmm. that definitely scratches the abstract itch.
2: What I want to know if you play that many games every week is, um, how you're able to re get through that many rule books. Uh, <laughs> you found my weakness. <laughs> I hate reading rule books. Uh, yeah. So if I was to play that many new games every week, it would be a struggle for me. Totally.
0: Well, you got to find friends who love rule books more than you. And fortunately for us, um, My friend who works with us, he loves them. Um, he used to teach games at Snakes and Lattes. It's a board game cafe in Toronto. Mm-hmm. So he has literally hundreds of Roblox in his mind and he's able to catalog them appropriately. Um, I have another friend, he consults for Roblox for different companies. So uh, every Wednesday or Thursday night, we'll hop onto TTS and he'll just dive into a 30 minute rule discussion on you know, PAX premier or something really intense that would take me weeks to learn. And yeah, he said that he enjoys teaching a game more than playing it. So I'm all for things like
1: that. I do really love teaching. I really love teaching games, but I hate rule books and I'm, Mm. I'm forgetful. (laughs) So, uh, i sometimes forget Mm -hmm. the finer details and
2: yeah, I get like, I actually enjoy teaching them as well. Kind of, um, but I get really, like I have to know it really, really well before I'll teach a game to anybody. You know right. what I mean? So like if I'm going to play a new game with some friends and I'm going to be the one teaching it, I'm like, I'm watching like YouTube videos and <laughs> in the, in the build up to when we get together to play games because I don't want to get something wrong. And I also like want my teaching to be really clear. Uh, so... I don't teach a lot of games because I just don't have the time to, like, <laughs> you know, prepare the way I feel like I need to be prepared. You do a dance and you just outsource it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. At a local convention,
0: I made the mistake of signing up to teach Root, six player, on oh, two tables. Oh,
1: my man. What were you Oof. thinking?
0: I know. Two tables oh. at the same time. No one had played it. And I would played it twice in preparation to teach it. Yeah, and it was you know one of those long Saturday oh days, and six o'clock. And were six. Up.
1: You said there were six-player games. Yeah, so two six-player games. Oh
0: my gosh! They're all. This is the height. God bless you. Height of the hype, where everyone was uh, so eager to play. They showed up ten minutes early. They got their chairs and uh, you know the raccoon beverage and all these things, <laughs> and and then I show up and you know teach it, but not in depth in the sense of like, we need to play this, let's have fun. Mm-hmm. So I remember mm-hmm. just going between the tables back and forth and, you know, just totally stressed out and it eventually gathered a crowd. And fortunately other people could help with a few rules, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I got to stick with not an easy
1: day. teach, man. That is, especially six player, you're teaching six games in one. Yeah. Basically.
2: Yeah.
0: Wow. I'll do that again. Got to <laughs> stick with what
2: I'm doing. I, I want to say it was GenCon. I we did we, we hosted a bunch oh, of events for GenCon. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we, we would do these like learn to play whatever we'd host a bunch of learn to play games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's kind of like one of those little ways we we at conventions that we try to like build relationships with people and provide a service. Like I think um, that's one of the cool things about convention. That's one of the things I love the most, honestly, about GenCon or or PAX Unplugged is that. Um, that's a great way to learn fun new games without having to read a rule book as you just, (laughs) that's the best way to learn is play it. Right. Yeah. Um, and and have somebody walk you through the rules as opposed to like, um, reading the rule book. But, um, yeah, I was teaching, I want to say four or five, I think it was five brand new people to play Scythe and, uh, Oh, Oh, it was painful. i mean because like that's a great game to learn if you have one new player in the group um but if everybody's new that's like it just takes forever Yeah. and uh and i think this particular group too was like you know some people just uh when they learn a new game they're just like i don't care if i win it's i'm learning so i'm just gonna try stuff you know um and by the way, if you're listening to this, that's the way. Just try stuff. Just try stuff. Uh, especially <laughs> Scythe. Oh, man. Especially Just Scythe. It doesn't matter. You're not um, going to win your first game. But this particular group wanted to analyze every decision, you know? <laughs> so it was supposed to be like a, I don't know, it was supposed to be like a two-hour learning session. And after a while, I had to, I had another appointment. I was like, I got to go. You guys are on your own now. So I I, I, think taught I took him over like,
1: for you or something.
2: Yeah, I think somebody took over, but they were there for like four hours. It was long. Uh, Yeah. Which is like uh, not even half of a game of Twilight Imperium, so. That's Mm -hmm. true. Fair. Do you play any of those like super heavyweight games like that?
0: Uh, Yeah, occasionally. I mean, Scythe is still in my top 10. I got the Legendary Box and had to
1: paint all the minis. Um, Did you get those metal mechs? Maybe one day. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Yeah.
0: but it's definitely a a favorite around here. I think we really like immersive games. So that's the kind of experience where Mm -hmm. we want to read through every encounter card Uh, near and far above and below Ryan Lockett's games. They also Mm -hmm. provide that experience for heavier. Mm -hmm. um, It probably comes down to what my friend wants to teach. So some of the GMT games where they have, you know, asymmetric playing and takes three sessions to get through like, I I don't gravitate towards those that's kind of where chess comes in with opening theory and databases but yeah I think we're probably more like the 2.5 complexity on board game geek of getting in a two-hour euro and having fun so ruins of Arnak the last ruins of Arnak that was a great one came out a few months ago
2: we just ran an interview with uh, the designers
1: of that oh
0: no way that's awesome
1: We do like
2: to get personal and kind of hear about like what makes you tick and sure? We've already heard a little bit about your like history as a uh, as a semi-pro chess player, but um yeah, where did you grow up in Canada or where, where are you from originally? Yeah, born and raised in Calgary.
0: So I'll say things differently than how Connie would coming from Toronto. She makes fun
2: of me, and I love how you say Calgary. Right. I I've for my entire life I've been saying it wrong, so I'm glad <laughs> that we that we had Calgary. you on. Yeah, Toronto. Calgary. we have lots of
0: Canadianisms. Wait, you, how
2: do you say Toronto?
0: Toronto or Toronto or Toronto.
2: Toronto. Okay. Yeah, What's Toronto. the correct? I think it's Toronto. Well, I've been doing that one right then. <laughs> I was like, wait, have I said that wrong my whole <laughs> life too? Yeah, all these localisms. So you grew up in Calgary? Uh, yeah.
0: Um, the cool part with my story that I didn't know I shared with Jamie... Uh, is that were both adopted. So that was um yeah, I guess my story from day 1 or before the womb and it wasn't till probably 4 months ago that we even did a DNA test. Connie was super mm. interested into my background and
2: oh, um, yeah.
0: It makes sense too just for like um health reasons I guess, like
2: yeah, is yeah, there
0: sure. diabetes or something in the history of our sure. family so. Yeah, that was yeah. kind of cool and it turns out I'm actually A second cousin to um, someone on Instagram that's a famous reviewer from Toronto so we've been friends for years in the board game world and had no idea we were related so um, yeah just crazy stuff like that Um, so my adopted family they're um, mostly from a German background so Mm -hmm. yeah my my last name Kaz grew up in Calgary Um, they tried having kids for seven or eight years and there was three or four babies where uh, my parents were going to adopt them and then basically on the last day the mom would say you know i've been really connected to my baby now that given birth to them and yeah it was gut-wrenching for for my parents and they actually took their name off the adoption list they're like maybe this isn't for us um my dad was diagnosed with ms so they said yeah you know it's probably a god thing let's not try this anymore um, but the agency thought that my parents would be perfect for a, a baby. So they kept them on the list. They didn't even tell them.
1: <laughs> yeah. That just, doesn't hey. seem entirely legal, but okay. Probably. I
0: mean, it, it was the late <laughs> 80s adoption agencies <laughs> were It's renew in a west wild
1: west America. out there in Calgary. Oh, totally. Yeah. We have the largest rodeo
0: in the world. So <laughs> <laughs> um, a year went by and then, um, I was born in the hospital and the one lady who had kept my adopted parents on the list, she looked at me and was like, I don't know why, but this baby is for the Casmars." So kind of mm-hmm. like in the matrix where Neil is offered a blue pill and a red pill, mm-hmm. she went up to the lady uh, who just gave birth and was like, I know you're giving this baby up for adoption. Here are two folders of families that you can give your baby to. Um, yeah, you have to choose and- she picked uh, my parents and uh, mm. yeah, just a crazy story. That's wild. Yeah. Phoned up. My parents was like, hey, are you still interested in having a baby? And no joke. My dad said, um, I was just at the hospital today and they said that I don't have MS. We would Whoa. love to have a Whoa. baby. Yeah. And my mom had just quit her job to go back to university. A couple of days later, I was um, given to the family. and So was
2: yeah. he, he was diagnosed with MS and then... They were like, uh, Whoops, just kidding. Yeah. Or like, what? how what, How did that happen?
0: That's basically it. It was just a scientific error. Less than a, a percent. Wow. Jeez.
2: Yeah. That's crazy because that must have been like really, I mean, like finding that out would be really traumatic, I would think.
0: Totally. And you've kind of lined up your um, next few years with that in knowledge. Yeah. So he declined... Job offers within education Mm. and
2: and whatnot. So, yeah. Did he sue him? (laughs) No, (laughs) he just got a baby
1: instead. Next best thing, I guess.
2: (laughs) Nowadays, if this had happened in 2021, he'd have sued the pants off those (laughs) doctors.
0: Right. Just kidding. He poured hot tea on himself and sued the tea manufacturer or something. That's right.
1: Yeah. Wow. So, what did your parents do growing up, like job wise? I know you said your mom like quit her job to go back to university, but
0: yeah. So, she was a part time piano teacher and worked as a dental assistant. So, she was going to go back to school to become a full time dentist. Oh, wow. Um, so, on that same week, discovering that she was going to be a mom, it was a beautiful transition. And she's taught um, private piano lessons for a good, I guess, forty years now. Wow. So, my dad was a chemistry high school teacher retired twice and he actually teaches chess online now
1: so so is he who you learned chess from then
0: yeah we we grew up playing chess together and i guess one of my earliest memories was actually playing risk and uh you know weeping as he conquered my (laughs) north american countries
1: so he was not the kind of parent to go easy on you
0: no (laughs) i mean you take the queen off the board to start teaching someone and eventually you you can play it equally. But um, my grandpa during the war, he fought on the German side, but um, never shot a bullet at anyone, he was captured and learned how to play chess in a a camp. And we Mm. played only two games in my life, because he realized that I was getting too good. So he quickly beat (laughs) me. And then he's like, we're never playing this again. Here, you can have my chess set.
1: (laughs) Basically, that's how I approach when I lose things. My quote is, if I lose a game, I just say that it's a dumb game. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I can understand that completely. Do you remember the first time you beat your dad in chess?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah.
1: And, and how old were me. you? Oh,
0: I was probably grade five, I want to say. And then by junior high, um, I had really bad asthma. So tried out for the soccer team. That was kind of my life. 2002, Germany went to the World Cup and went the distance. And uh, yeah, tried out for the team. My asthma was so bad, I I couldn't even run anymore. So the next week I found Mm -hmm. the chess club. And a couple weeks later went to um, Provincials in grade seven. Didn't play very well, came fourth. But the winner got to go to Nationals out in uh, Ottawa. Mm -hmm. And I got a call a few weeks later that the other three players couldn't make it. So I had to represent Alberta. Yeah. So it was a lifetime opportunity and I came last. That's
2: wild. So you were, you were like, uh, I mean, pretty far down the line. I mean, four (laughs) and yet you still (laughs) got to go. That's really cool.
0: Yeah. And that kind of changed the,
2: you didn't like poison all their drinks or something. Oh no. And I
0: wanted to win. (laughs) I was so devastated that I had lost, but yeah, all paid for expenses, flew my parents down as well. And then, and you flew to where again was this? Uh, so it was actually in
2: Toronto, so the, the university. Okay. Yeah. And you got last in this tournament. Yeah. Is that what you said? I
0: won my first game and then lost the rest. So oh, it was man. just a, you know, a devastating thing, but it kind of awakened in me a desire to learn. So I'd lose yeah. a game, come back to our little dorm, and then read a chess book for five hours. And then play soccer with the kids or something. But yeah, so that was kind of my life for a good...
2: And 10. how old were you when you got into this
0: uh grade seven so about 12 or 13. Okay
2: so you at 12 or 13 you're reading like you're spending five hours reading a chess book
0: yeah like every day all day I'd come home play online put in a good 30 games watch other players um needless to say I was a little bit introverted I'm more of a hybrid model these days but (laughs) yeah um it's kind of just an ocean within a game and that's really fascinating in life that whether it's tea or, or, chess or literature, that was my undergrad, um, you can dive so deep into this plethora of knowledge and then mm. associate it across different fields. Um, yeah, life is just full of all these crazy, awesome things.
2: How is that translated into, into life? I'm curious if you could give us like a concrete example of like your, um, yeah, that deep interest, uh, in and, um, as is, is it fair to say obsession Sure, <laughs> with, with chess? Yeah. Like how that's, uh, informed other aspects of your life or, or what you've learned from that.
0: And especially on Netflix, you can see where obsession can turn into addiction. it's not, <laughs> not Really, um, yeah. corralled. Yeah. So yeah. I think when I was so focused on chess, I, uh, lost out if you will on different areas of life which i really wish Mm -hmm. i had pushed into whether it was friendships or um i don't know a future job that sort of thing like i still had good marks and people told me i should go into math but um yeah i never like appreciated people around me um but these days i think when you really push into something it gives you a sense of wonder that you can apply to other things so i don't know if you hold up a gem and the different facets of it you'll see um the beauty of a gem at different angles and you can keep rotating mm-hmm. that gem and um looking at it through through different perspectives basically and i think we can apply that to all of us as unique individuals or even a board game that's a work you know it's an interactive piece of art you can be like hey look at mm-hmm. these beautiful tokens or um oh i see in sight let's see jamie has a little easter egg right? Like there's 100 Easter eggs in Mm -hmm. the map itself. So
1: find Santa Claus. That's right.
0: He's there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So just having a sense of wonder and amazement, Mm -hmm. not only through games, but just how we interact with things. Um, The tea in front of me, or I have a a slice of banana bread, like the texture of banana bread is just fascinating. Or um, the rulebook for Wingspan is fascinating because Jamie took a different angle at it. So it has this cool little um papery roughness to it and
1: I never want to touch another rule book after touching <laughs> fans rule book. yeah it's it not is nice. Even, it's just not even close.
0: I didn't <laughs> even know that there's a good dozen types of finishes you can apply to cards yeah. or boxes
2: mm-hmm.
0: So just manufacturing stuff either. excites me.
2: That's cool. yeah, that's pretty cool. I I watched um, have you all seen this? what is it called? Uh, it's, I'm blanking on it now, but there's a documentary on uh, the, the the Chicago Bulls. No, <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a a documentary on the the. I think it's called the Last Dance, but yeah. it's basically kind of follows the last championship that Michael Jordan won with the Bulls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, what I found fascinating about it was um, like how dedicated. He was to winning, Michael Jordan. You know, Um, and like what that seemed to do to him, because like um, one of the things that kind of comes out in the documentary is like he had some, like he some strained relationships, to put it nicely, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just makes me think, like not and not this is not true of everybody. There's certainly people who achieve like what he did um without that but like i think he was just so dedicated to being as proficient as possible at basketball and like being like being the best ever which he accomplished Mm um and in the process like anybody who wasn't gonna get on his level gonna get on the same page with that project was like he just didn't have time for them you know what i mean um, anyway, I just think about it when people like give a lot, like what it requires to be the best at something. Um, it's you know, a cost. I think, I think there, there, there's, yeah, there's this weird cost benefit analysis to it, I think, or there, there can be, um, and maybe that's why I'm not the best at anything, but uh, <laughs> I, uh, that's going to be my excuse. I found a really
0: cool article that talks about, um, at least the need for me as a millennial to to monetize everything and it said um there's no reason for you to monetize your joy like it's okay to mm. knit or yeah do a puzzle you don't have to become like the world speed champion mm-hmm. for puzzles even though i'm sure like, that exists <laughs> or rubik cubes right like there, there's so many cool things we can do that we don't have to make competitive or financial gains from it or mm-hmm. um even competitive games like every single chess game you play tournament, you have this international rating Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the value of who you are so um yeah you know masters might not hang out with d class players because the conversations are different and we start creating those social classes within even without realizing it so yeah i think just going from the ground up that we're all humans trying to do stuff with limited time it changes the conversation because like you're saying with Michael Jordan or, or Michael Schumacher, or yeah, like it just, we really focus on what makes the goat, the goat instead of what is the cost mm-hmm. of being the goat you know, <laughs> at what expense? Yeah. So I knew Well, I that's,
1: that. I mean, coming back to Queens Gambit, like that Netflix series, I mean, that's yeah. a lot of that in there, you know, shows the cost and the toll that it takes on her. Um, you know, through the addiction and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, and it it, just as you guys are talking about this, it makes me think, I mean, maybe biasedly about this show, this podcast, and so much of the point of this for us has been like, um, it's kind of two things. You know, one, we want the gamers, the consumers, to see that there are real living, breathing people behind the games that they consume. Um, And really a a way for us to kind of combat the sort of entitlement and the toxic Mm -hmm. side of how gamers can be. Um, You know, when we send like death threats to the people that made No Man's Sky because we thought it sucked. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's that part of it. But I think also what I hope for the benefit of like our guests that come on is that we get to talk about like who you are as people and what makes you tick so that your value isn't only in the things you make, right? Like how you were kind of saying, like, you know, your value as a chess player is your ELO rating, like, you know, your number. Um, Like, I don't ever want creators or creative types or really anybody to feel like, hey, you're only valuable if you make cool stuff. You're only valuable if your board game geek averages at, you know, eight or above, whatever. Um, You know, you, you have more value than that.
3: It's Mo from the Back Row Morning Show and I've got five random facts for you. As of 2013, 12 police stations in a rural area of China have begun to use geese as alert animals. Benin, a country in Central Africa, is notable for having the highest birth rate of twins in the world. Dinosaurs lived in every continent on Earth, including Antarctica, The reason we only find their bones in certain places, though, is that weather and soil conditions in those places were just right for bones to be fossilized. In 2005, Australian Parliament took a few citizen complaints a little too seriously and banned anyone on their staff from using the word mate while at work. And a tick bite can make you allergic to red meat. For more fun facts and hilarious nonsense, tune in to the Back Row Morning Show Monday through Thursday at 7 a.m. and again at 9 a.m. Central here on LTN Radio.
2: So, uh, growing up in Calgary, sorry, Calgary, um, <laughs> Cowtown, <laughs> cow-town. <laughs> what? Do, you, do you say that? Do people say Cowtown? Yeah, we got lots of cows and ranchers, um, home of the Calgary. Okay, yeah, there's big, uh, there's a big rodeo there too, you said. The Stampede, yep. I've heard that. That's cool. Um, so did you grow up going to church or anything? Were you, were you, was your family religious?
0: Yeah, I guess I, I grew up thinking everyone was adopted as well. So, uh,
2: they, yeah, they
0: told me straight up, like, hey, this is your story. And, you know, we think God was part of that too. So,
1: when did they hmm. tell you?
3: Uh,
0: Probably. from day one. So, oh, wow. I was actually super lonely as a kid, just mm-hmm. playing Lego and stuff under the grand piano. And then, uh, I told my parents, you know, it'd be cool to have a friend. So <laughs> a month later, we they adopted my baby brother, Alex, huh. that kind of thing. And
2: yeah. A we, month later. So they were very accommodating parents. Yes. Yeah.
0: and Truth be told, <laughs> they were trying to adopt before and after. Okay. Well.
2: It wasn't just your <laughs> request. <laughs> hey, we'll make this happen. Month later, boom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I guess... Uh, faith was never like an issue for me because i'm like well my cosmic Mm. journey has been you know pretty serendipitous anyways Mm. in in childlike terms of course and yeah i I kind of just appreciated being alive i guess because finding Mm. out more about my birth story before uh, later on in life um my mom had me in high school and yeah like a you know single mom giving up her baby to a family she doesn't know like um I guess I can say I'm truly quote blessed in that mm-hmm. sense of even being born in a, a society where, you know, we, we have food and healthcare that's readily accessible. So um, yeah, we went to, I guess, uh, getting back to your question, a Baptist church growing up and um, mm-hmm. struggled through that. Like, what does it mean to be a Christian? I kind of was more of, I have a list of things kind of like my chess mind. Here's how to be a good Christian. you, uh, only listen to Christian music or read Lord of the Rings or Narnia, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I quickly found out that in high school, there really is no such thing as Christian music. It's just how many times I can throw Jesus in per minute, and make it sound Christian. So that was a really good undermining of my beliefs before of maybe faith is more about how you connect with God and how you, Not only see God in other people, but see him in yourself and in uh, the mountains or the beauty of board games. All these things Mm -hmm. um, that express like awesomeness, I guess. So that's kind of been my experience. Faith is more of an experience than um, just a rote list.
1: I think that's a beautiful way to to look at things. What was like... um, Because, you know, growing up Baptist, I mean, Drew's Southern Baptist-ish. Don't tell me what I am. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. uh, Like, I I know, from what I know of it, I mean, I'm not, and I haven't been in those circles, but, like, it does tend towards that, like, maybe at its worst, fundamentalism. Um, So, I mean, what was that journey like for you, if that was kind of your experience, like what you're saying is, you know, just these boxes I have to check versus this more, what to me just hearing you talk seems to be kind of a more open or like yeah. a more felt uh, or lived kind of experience. Like what was that sort of transition like, and when did that happen? Was that like, you know, high school 20s? Like,
0: Yeah, I think it was probably more intellectual before in the sense of like my dad watches a good four or five hours of TV each night so we would watch a documentary together and then talk about world events and then talk about faith and like, you know, does God exist? Does he not? Like, what are your thoughts? So I I was really, I guess, thankful coming up in a tradition that I could just talk about anything. Mm. Like Mm. why do we do communion?
2: That's interesting too, because like, uh, not, I'm not going to say I, I don't know what the actual average like Baptist home is like, but I would say like, there's not a reputation for Baptist homes of being a place where you could just talk openly
0: about that kind of stuff. You <laughs> like, know what I mean?
1: Kind like, of just that's fall inco- in line. It's really encouraging here. Just to hear. fall in line, follow the rules. Don't ask questions.
0: Yeah. yeah. Or it maybe is happening behind closed doors and not as upfront. Like, hmm. you know, a pastor will always say, let's have a conversation today. And then it's just him talking about it. Like, the mode <laughs> <Yeah.
2: laughs> of of doing uh, tradition. Let's talk about all the ways why you're wrong. Right. All the reasons why you're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh,
0: it, it's never like an open dialogue. Whereas mm-hmm. kind of my, um, my wish for church is more like, uh, hey, let's go to a, a coffee bar or a restaurant or an actual bar and just have a topic and talk about how faith intersects with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Even if a lot of my friends growing up um, we're not in the church anymore or they're in the church, but yeah. whatever sort of thing, like um, that kind of openness is like, they're thirsting for that. I thirst for that because faith should be interactive. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just 400 years ago that the Bible was mostly just in Latin and you'd have to talk to a, a priest about the truth. So yeah, faith should be really accessible and um, not all the time where we're things so that's
2: something that your your parents your dad it sounds like maybe in particular instilled in you is like an openness to talk about these things and ask questions and totally yeah um,
0: I remember cool. um one time we couldn't find my brother in the church and then we heard some commotion in the kitchen he was only like five at the time but um he was eating the leftover communion bread <laughs> my <I> like, <laughs> yeah like yes. the, the librarian was freaking out and oh, then yeah. Yeah. um i was like but dad where do we put all the bread anyways mm-hmm. and then someone was like well we just throw it in the garbage my brother's like well that's dumb right <laughs> like
2: <laughs> i like bread yeah. yeah
0: and it's like awesome whole wheat the white part of the bread like yeah like let's mm-hmm. make this a feast so i'm totally for like questioning the underpinnings of what we believe Mm -hmm. um while being rooted in tradition like we always have reasons to do stuff but yeah like it's an open knowledge society wikipedia everything if there is truth let's just kind of flesh it out and not be scared
2: so you said you got into like um uh humanitarian work working amongst refugees was did that come out of your faith journey Uh, is that are those two related yeah um
0: and it's not for everyone for sure. Like I have a lot of friends who do humanitarian work that, um, you know, are from a Muslim background or atheistic and, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like the board game world, people in the humanitarian world, they're, they're very focused on, you know, how can we make life better for other people? How can we, um, give them human eudaimonia, it's a Greek word for flourishing.
3: Mm-hmm. How can we allow
0: mm-hmm. someone to have better life wherever they're at? So, um, I guess in high school, moving away from chess a little bit, I was like, hey, God, I have no idea what to do for the future. I'm just going to give you a gap year, like one year after high school and, and do with me however you will. Like kind of fed up trying to figure stuff out on my own. I got good grades. have no idea what to do with my life. So um, I went to Germany for a year, still played chess a little bit, uh, but went to Bible school. On the side, I actually met the guy who made Carcassonne. One of the designers by random accident. Random. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, and played tons of Catan, of course. But mm-hmm. it kind of revealed to me that, you know, life is about humans. Like, anything on this planet that has the most intrinsic value is just people. And, of course, the environment and taking care of things as well. But, um, yeah, it was really impressed upon me that that's what really lasts. It's, it's the relationships. It's the love you have for people. Um, and I was struggling with not loving your neighbor, but loving your neighbor as yourself. So I had a lot of guilt of like I wasn't loving people enough, or um, the ways I was loving people wasn't good enough, let alone receiving that love. So I really wrestled with that because, as you know, in the West, we as a society struggle with just loving ourselves too much. Like yeah. it is that centric me ism in all our decisions and um it it was okay for me to acknowledge that in order to love people i have to love myself like it's Mm. a two-way street because how can you love people when you're empty
3: Mm.
0: or how can you blame people that are struggling in a humanitarian aspect when they when they have nothing right like they're it's kind of like someone's drowning in the ocean and they're reaching out for a life jacket or the life preserver So you can't blame people when they're hurting for hurting other people, hurt people, hurt people. Mm -hmm. And for me, not allowing myself to receive other people's love, I wasn't loving other people. So yeah, that's kind of been my journey. And I want to say that doing humanitarian work was like not about me, but I think at the end of the day, it was good to um, have people like, acknowledge and love me through that acknowledging what had been done but at the same time creating opportunities for other people to have that human flourishing we're talking about
2: Mm. yeah yeah i think that's something i've had to sort of re-examine um in in my life as well like uh just i think there's certain traditions christian faith traditions or whatever that can elevate this idea of like And it's something that's important in the teaching of the Bible, I think, that that like we're we're spiritually broken people, like there's um, you know, like what the Bible says about sinfulness and those kinds of things. Um but I I think if you're not careful, that can develop like an unbiblical sort of view of of self um and and our value as human beings. Um, so um I I don't know, I just appreciate that because I I think it's um I think it's something a lot of a lot of people who grow up in the faith are have been to sort of re to have having to think about because um you can if you're not careful have an unhealthy view of of uh you know, of yourself and, and your value before before God and before other people. Um
0: Yeah. I was um sharing those same thoughts with my grandmother a couple of years back and she just started to weep. And she's like, Daniel, that's that's how I was taught in the church to like basically woe is me i'm a sinner and Mm -hmm. that's how i am going forward Mm -hmm. right and um historically we call that worm theology (laughs) yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and if we leave it at that then there's no way to reconcile other things like you are made perfect you are loved you are chosen accepted valued right like all those things kind of bounce off of us if we Mm. were just kind of encased or ingrained in the swarm theology so
2: yeah yep yeah i got a chance to preach at the church i've been going to i haven't preached in a long time but i preached (laughs) at the church that that we've been attending for a while now this last sunday and the passage i preached on was was first peter chapter five and it talks about like uh you know um Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he might exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And so, boom, right there, there's, like, this really beautiful truth that, um, one, God cares about us. And then, two, like, he wants to bear our anxieties. Like, he wants us to communicate to him the things that are making us feel insecure and uncomfortable. Um mm-hmm. As opposed to wanting us to dwell <laughs> in our insecurities or um, feel them more deeply, right? Mm. Um, so, uh, uh, was a was a really like encouraging um, just passage for me to, to have the opportunity to study more deeply. But um. so, uh, are you still uh, you you still going to church and stuff? What's what where are you at now? Like, what's your what's your faith journey like now?
0: Yeah, um, I guess church is more about the people than the place so yeah. we got some you know churches still meeting these days we're, we're kind of not under lockdown but pretty heavy restrictions in canada so it's been really refreshing just being like hey what is church um
2: <laughs> yeah how can we still yeah this this has been a time to rethink some of those things i guess totally yeah. yeah
0: yeah so i think difficult times like the one we're going through right now it helps us reevaluate like you were saying before and um for us church is just connecting with some other couples Friday night on zoom talking about those anxieties how we can lift them up to God what are some awesome things um, how we can celebrate that as a community Um, yeah stuff we're struggling with food shared over zoom like it's you can just be a lot um, creative I guess in the faith because if God is truly truth he can just transcend all the other stuff that's going on so
1: yeah. yeah,
0: that's been church for us. I did go to seminary for five years um, at a Southern Baptist one, actually. So Ooh, for me, he's um, in a
1: pod right here. I know. Right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think for me today, I would say um, I'm a Jesus follower. First off. and hmm. Humbly trying to orient myself to. To God and what he wants me to do, yep. whether um, that's board games for the moment, I guess. Maybe I was kind of prideful before. Um Cause there were some tough days, like, man, you just, you went to Iraq, right? Like I was doing all these crazy things, but were they truly the best for how God wants me to develop? Cause I think he makes you do stuff that you don't want to do so that yeah, you might look like him more down the road. So yeah, board games are kind of refining me in that way.
1: Yeah. That's I, cool, man. Uh, I have a question. Um, you know, just sharing about your faith, your Christian faith, Jesus, that kind of stuff. Like, uh, I'm curious how that informs like your game design. You know, I think we all know of our dear, wonderful friends that make Christian games (laughs) and what that tends to do. Now we do have some friends and people we know that like, we absolutely love and support what they're doing and how they're doing it, you know, and involving Christian themes into their games and doing it in not a, what I think is cringy, cringy way. Um, But obviously like you guys made a game about tea. Nobody's going to look at that and be like, Oh, that's a Christian game. (laughs) Um, So like, I'm sure this has been some part of your thought process at some point. Um, I'm just curious, like maybe talk about that a little bit or what kind of your thoughts are when it comes to, you know, quote unquote, Christian games
0: right yeah i guess um
1: and i, I laughed just remembering my mom buying me
0: settlers of canaan
1: oh yeah instead of, <laughs> of kids, perfect perfect That's example
0: funny. my yeah. friend perfect yeah and i was like example. oh this this might be cool like i don't want to yeah. offend my mom so we cracked it open and the ability cards or development cards rather were like putting plagues on other people oh, i was perfect. like oh Dang. Well, this probably isn't as Christian as I hoped, but <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and sorry to the designer who made that reimplementation, but um yeah, going back to our earlier conversation about how there's no such thing as Christian music. Yeah, yeah. I mean, someone like Bono from U2 who uh swears a ton and, and drinks a bit, like he uh, he's still a guy who loves God and can play a mean guitar and has an awesome voice. Like He's just a musician who happens to be someone faith inspired, if you will. So, Mm. um, I think for me in my walk, like I probably gravitate towards some themes that, um, would be a little bit more like PG or whatnot, but, um, I think picking T is very much representative of, well, I don't want to say faith altogether, but, um, Tea allows you to gather over something hot and inviting and accessible, Um, at least in the last century. Anyone can afford tea, Mm
3: -hmm. but
0: um, board games and tea overlap so much because as you welcome people to your table, um, the table is usually filled with food or beverage. So we've enjoyed many games with um, tea on the side or Connie loves to make homemade bread. So that's kind of our gig. We'll, we'll have bread or lasagna or something. and super jealous of the banana bread you have sitting there. Oh, I know it's from a German bakery though. So (laughs) we'll we'll have to go back again. It didn't
1: make me less jealous by the way.
0: Anytime you're here,
1: (laughs) you're totally welcome. Um,
0: yeah, I guess
1: we're just trying to make games that
0: can be accessible, not only to, um, the majority of the audiences, but also the age itself. Like, we want to make games that kids can play um, or my 96-year-old grandma, she can play. Mm -hmm. Like, things that make people come alive. Um, One more story from the humanitarian world. My former boss, he was in Kosovo during the main crisis, and he said he went into a home and he offered two big flats of water to this elderly grandmother person who was in charge of the home. And she just laughed in his face and was like hey come over to this other room um so they go to the other room and there's literally walls covered with water like cases galore Mm -hmm. a couple thousand and all the other humanitarian groups had just sent water and she said to him you know what we really need is someone who can bring joy like people Mm -hmm. have lost hope we've lost family members our jobs our houses our electricity um means of transportation everything like just give us some dignity like help us become more human or at least Mm -hmm. feel what it meant to be human so he thought about for a bit and he flew over someone from kentucky who was actually a comedian Mm -hmm. and a magician so instead of buying more flats of water they bought balloons hundreds of balloons and uh, toys for the kids and whatnot and you know let go of the balloons and there was dancing and, you know, in the streets that had no name and it was just such a, like a beautiful picture of humanity coming together and realizing, um, it's not me trying to bring something to someone else, whether it's through my game design or my faith or something else, but it's more the other person in, in a very safe place saying, this is what I need.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Like that lady could have said, thanks for the water, thrown it in the room, closed the door. And then, um, my former boss would have been like, you know, job done, right? Let's right, move on yeah, to his yeah. place. But, yeah. um, he was able to enter into her world and she was receptive enough to share what she needed and it made a difference. So I guess Connie and I are just trying to keep our, our ears to the ground and figuring like, Hey, what's the next theme that brings joy to some people? Cause Yeah, it's totally fulfilling getting messages every day like this is our favorite game. Thanks for, um, you know, reconnecting my aunt and I. We went to uh, a little cafe and we ordered chai and got a a chai donut and came home and had a tea party (laughs) or with my daughter or something. Sure, that's great. It makes our day, but it's also super cool that like it was reflected in their life. They were the Mm -hmm. ones that made that come alive. We just created the tool to make it happen. And that's kind of what games are for us. I think well, it's been great
2: talking to you. Yeah, it was great. Great chatting with you, Dan. Uh, it was really cool to hear your story. And um, yeah, w- what's the best place for people to go find out more about the work that you're doing?
0: Yeah, I guess our website, just steepgames.com, or or uh, we do reply back to every message personally. So just shout out to us on Instagram or Twitter or somewhere and
1: yeah, your toy totally walks It's S T E E P E D games. Steep. Yeah. Like steeping tea.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah. And if you ever want to play chess at a convention, hit me up. <laughs> oh my gosh.
2: <laughs> if I ever want to be destroyed,
0: yeah, if at I ever want to just lose in up.
1: three moves. I will come <laughs> find you.
0: Oh, well, we, I'll play blindfold and it, it equals it up. Don't worry.
2: <laughs> Do you really play people blindfolded? Yeah, so we'll go to tournaments
0: and have to drive like 10 hours. So we'll play just blindfolded in the car, one game for 10 hours, and then talking about the possibilities. It's kind of like a language.
2: Oh my God. Yeah. That's crazy. That's cool, man. Well, this is great, Dan. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks Thanks for inviting.